He's like, oh, I got to go play some ice hockey tonight. No way he said that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I was like, you know how pissed Hound Dog would get right now. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 77, the Ray Bork edition of the podcast. Goes without saying that he'd be the title athlete for this episode. The one of last week's guests, Spiros Kyrdakis, suggested it should be Luka Doncic of the Mavericks. Now, he's an incredible young athlete, but he can't usurp, good word, Ray Bork, who won five Norris trophies as the best defenseman, and he has the most goals ever by a blue liner, and of course, finally won the cup with the Avalanche in 2001. I digress. So I now welcome on a great friend of mine, Derek Hutchin. I went to Niagara College and lived with him two different times, brag. He's been in the film and TV business for over a decade and a half and is a diehard Tiger Cats fan and was at the recent Grey Cup. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Derek. Thanks, Hound Dog. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on and uh, obviously talk about that Grey Cup uh, first and foremost because, like I said, you were a diehard. How was the experience? Was it, what, you know, was it uh, incredible to... Uh, uh, obviously, the result of the game wasn't what you wanted, but how was the atmosphere and everything about uh, being at that Grey Cup? I have to say, like, it wasn't what I expected. And... and- Got, not like in a bad way. I mean, like, you know, when you to, to Hamilton fans, like the biggest game of the year is Labor Day mm-hmm. and the atmosphere on Labor Day is is right up there with like an East final. But when you went to sorry, when I went to the Grey Cup in Hamilton thinking, oh, man, it's going to be just like this. I, I feel like I feel like the CFL must have told the stadium to just like you can't you can't be biased you have to be very unbiased because they weren't getting us going they weren't being like that's another tiger cap first down right, you know they right. weren't there was none of that like let's get loud you know like we did it we had to do it all on our own but you know yeah it's true i guess obviously yeah, it would be normally that uh, most of the time anyway the team that hosts the gray cup isn't actually in the gray cup so obviously uh yeah the fact that they were in the gray cup hamilton i'm sure like you said they must have been uh just keep it sort of right down the middle or whatever so no one gets you know, like you said, no bias at all. But, uh, yeah, what do you think of the game? Obviously, the second half was much more exciting than the first half. And look for a while there, like, Hamilton was going to win. And, uh, you know, I know you and uh, the, the Reese's family friends are diehard Ticats fans, and I was sick to my stomach at the end of that game knowing that Hamilton lost. It was just soul-crushing. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, being there, it was an absolute nail-biter. I don't think I sat down the entire fourth quarter and – and to be honest, there was a bunch of Bomber fans around us and looking at them being how strong Winnipeg was this season and, and how many awards they won at the award ceremonies and how dominant they were, they were worried. They were very worried that Hamilton was going to run away with this thing, which unfortunately never happened. But uh, you know what? Like It was an unbelievable experience and it's a great memory I'll have for like the rest of my life. What uh, were any you know, key plays there in the fourth quarter or the, or maybe even the, th- the third and obviously overtime, but in the third quarter, was there any key plays there that we were like, oh, if I, you know, if they just had done this, then the things totally would have changed differently. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about uh, when Poppy White took the safety in the end zone on the, on the kickoff, but like, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, the stands for a reason. I'm not on the field. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like most fans, you know, and, uh, you know, if he didn't concede the safety on the kickoff, uh, you know, and then the ball be put on the 35 yard line, who's to say he was going to get that far, you know? And, you know, that might change your entire playbook. Like when we were fortunate enough to march the ball all the way down the field and have a shot at, the uh, the end zone when when the we're against like the the crazy winds like 
yeah, like uh, everybody's going to have opinions on what, uh, you know, the one play that maybe have changed the whole game. But, it, you know, maybe it's not that play. Maybe it's the roughing the passer play in the first half. Or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Like, it, it, really, at the end of it, like, you can't just really pick one play that defines the whole game. Like, sure, there's going to be turnovers and stuff like that. And that should really define who's going to win the game is, is the turnover battle, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, of course, the, the play you're referring to, of, uh, uh, Hamilton was up. They were sorry, they were down two points. Uh, the ball kicked into the end zone. He could have taken it out of the end zone. Instead, he kneels it down for a one point. So then they're down three. And they drive all the way down the field, had a chance to win. They didn't. So on third down, they kicked the field to send it to overtime. And so, of course, people are saying if you didn't give up the one point there and you would have ran it out of the end zone, you could have kicked the field to win the game. So... It, I, I, oftentimes I hate results-based oriented thinking. Like I, I can't, I honestly can't decide whether did the coaches tell him to take the knee or because it's it, the coaches didn't react like they were pissed off at him. He didn't react like, oh my god, what have I done? It almost feels like that's he. That was exactly the instructions they gave him. It seemed like uh, from what I've uh, seen and and heard uh, post-game interviews with Coach O, uh, Coach O gave him the option to take the knee or to run it out, and you know obviously. Poppy knows where he stands because he was three yards in front of the uh, end zone when the ball was kicked, and now he's a couple steps into the end zone when he catches it. So uh, when he's looking down, he's like, 40 yards looks far away, but, like, can you really run 35 yards when the defenders are at 40, you know? And and who's to say, like, they would have even made it? Like, we mm-hmm. had a, th- uh, a third down conversion at, on, like, our own 45 that we happened to get. Like, what's uh, wh- wh- I don't know why people are saying – Oh yeah, if if he only did that we would have had it. Like who would have said we would have still marched the ball down? Mm-hmm. You know, the momentum was swinging play after play in that game. And oftentimes uh, as I was saying the results based oriented thinking, like, oh that play didn't work so therefore it's the the worst decision ever. It's like not necessarily if you actually look into that and the fact that they weren't freaking out on the sideline tells me that yes, they they told him to, you know, like you said get have the option of either going out or staying in the end zone there. Was, did you have any thought of, instead of uh, kicking that field goal to tie the game to go to overtime, as a fan, did you ever th- in your head at all think, because I think they were on, like, what, the two-yard line or something like that, hey, let's go for the win right here and right now? Did you did you want that at all? You know, I, I feel like we had so much trouble moving the ball against the wind, and Winnipeg's defense was just as good as ours. And I just, you know, I, I felt like we exhausted everything just to get down there. And And you know what? Give the boys a break. And, and we'll go to overtime and, and we'll see if we can, you know, now it's like, it's fair game at this point. It's, it's, it's do or die. You know, it's, it's two and out football. Like it's, you know. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunately, of course they did, of course, go for that field goal, went to overtime there. And it was just disappointing how, you know, Winnipeg was just able to drive down the field, no problem at all. And then Hamilton obviously got intercepted there. Masoli uh, to lose the game. It was gut, a gut, gut-wrenching way to lose as well because it was tipped a couple times and it was like, oh, no, oh, no, they were hit. Oh, no, they lost the game. It was uh, I, tough. You know, I don't think Winnipeg really marched the ball down the field. Like, they uh, they had that third and – I think it was third and one, and we were offside. And, mm. and, and that's – they gave them a, a fresh set of downs. The next play, they were able to throw it, and with great yak yards – the, the guy got it in the end zone. But, yeah, the, in no way did they, they march it down against us, you know. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they, they did get that touchdown, which obviously – and then they got, they got the two-point conversion to go up eight, so obviously that well, changes you, things you, significantly. That's CFL uh, rules is you have to do a two-point conversion in the playoffs. I'm uh, Sorry, not the playoffs, the uh, 
uh, overtime. 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 Yeah, it's great. I, I love the fact that uh, the overtime is like that. It's uh, unique and, uh, you know, I love that so much more than in the, in the NFL. It's a little bit better the overtime in terms of now not just a field goal wins it. You still, the other team has a chance to possess the ball if there's a field goal. But in the game uh, recently, the, the Chiefs Chargers, they went to overtime and uh, the Chiefs got the ball first and they got the touchdown. So the game was over right then and there. It's like, I, I love the fact uh, no, that both should, teams have a chance to you, possess the ball. Yeah, because you can, you can tie the game, yeah. Like, you know, and, and a lot of people were saying, oh, we lost it on uh, the coin toss at the beginning of the game, you know. With, and, and if anybody knows that Hamilton's history, if they've watched the games, especially in the last two years, we take the ball at the beginning of the game, regardless of wind. We're, we're, we're run by a team that, that is hungry for that ball, and we're, we're hungry to get that first score and, and, and get up there. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately didn't uh, go the way you have obviously had wanted. But uh, great, great, uh, great cup. I think it was the fourth time the great cup had uh, ended in overtime. Unfortunate result. Um, yeah. Now, flash forward, uh, going forward here, uh, what do you think uh, Masoli and uh, Dane Evans, of course, who left that game in that great cup, uh, both uh, not under contract for next year. So what does Hamilton do with the, the team in the quarterback position going forward? Uh, they're they're going to sign one of them. And, and I think it really depends on... Uh, who's who's coaching, you know, like uh, if Coach O leaves Hamilton, if Coach O stays Hamilton, you know, I, I think if he stays, he's a big Jeremiah uh, Masoli supporter. Like uh, all season when all of us fans were like, give it up, give it up. Like he's not doing anything, you know, uh, he stuck with him. He's my number one guy, you know, but I think if they bring somebody new in, I think they'll sign Dane. He's younger. Um uh, He's, uh, he's got, I think he's got the fight in it. You know, I think Jeremiah is more of like a chill uh, Zen kind of guy, but you saw in the East final, like Dane ran that fumble down and took it back. Like unbelievable. Yeah, no, he was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, he came in Dan Evans in the East final and was like 12 for 12 or 14 for 14 or something like that. Like 16 for 16, even better than that. 16 for 16. Oh my God. That's, but then Jeremiah came into the great cup and he was almost perfect mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with one pick but the funny thing like that kind of I, I thought was really funny about the great cup and i know i know Kalaros is a great quarterback but he gets mvp and he was picked twice yeah well and both those picks i remember seeing those i was like oh my god those are just wretched i mean it's never of course good to get an interception but sometimes it's a tip ball or something like that it's not really quarterback's fault at least one of them, I think both of them, but at least one of them, I was like, oh my God, that is awful. Yeah, like if I if I were to give it to somebody, I'd give it to somebody on the front line. Like they got hands up. They they had like at least five knockdowns the whole game and they, they got hands up when they couldn't get to the quarterback and they, they played exceptionally well. Yeah, no no, no doubt. And uh, obviously, yeah, Winnipeg now winning uh, back-to-back Grey Cups in the, well, there, of course, there was no season last year, but uh, back-to-back Grey Cups against Hamilton. Uh, what do you think? I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this probably, but... Uh, CFL, there's some talks about maybe going to four downs as opposed to the three. I'm assuming you're livid about this because CFL, this is like that's a rite of like passage of a, a CFL. It's our three downs. I'm assuming you're just pissed off about this. You know, it's an interesting debate. Like, but you'd have to get rid of other things because right now we give a full yard for the line of scrimmage. Like, imagine every third down and just boom, QB sneak, and it's it's easy, right? Like, I mean, it's not easy, but you know, uh, four down football is not our game. You know, in my opinion, like uh, the XFL is four down football. They haven't, you know, thrived that that other league. I forget what it's called, the AG or A something or AAF for like yeah. six weeks that, that it folded that league. Though. Exactly. Those you know, leagues are terrible. I mean, you already have two 
And I would say you'd have two football leagues, that two football, uh, four down football, who are world-class leagues, one being the NFL, one being American college football. They're both world-class leagues. I don't care, you know, you're a pro if you play in college, you're a pro if you play, play in the pros, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one because I've seen a lot of people, obviously, the CFL fans. like That's like the, more than anything else, I guess, the Rouge as well, the one-point play. Uh, obviously, the three downs is what uh, separates the CFL from the NFL and college, as you say. So it's like there have been a lot of people that were, no, they do not want this to happen at all. I mean, like, it's not the only thing that separates it. Like, we have the waggle, you know, and, and the Rouge is good. The, the only kind of thing I hate about the Rouge is... Say you're say you're kicking a field goal, and you miss it, mm-hmm. and it goes out. Mm-hmm. You still get the point, mm-hmm. like which is ridiculous. <laughs> like if they change mm-hmm. that part, like I don't mind. Like if you got a good boot on you, and the wind's behind you, and you can kick it through the goal line, by all means, you deserve that point. That you, if that's the angle that you're going to play on the game, then then fine. Yeah, it's uh, that, that, that's actually that's always been my dream for a Grey Cup to end with that a kicker, a field goal to win the game. Unfortunately, the kicker misses the field a little, but it goes through the end zone, so they win but with, a, with a rouge. That would just be the greatest thing ever. You miss, but yet you still win. Well, it almost happened. I don't know if you remember. We were we were downtown at like hoops at like Young College when that was a when it was still there, and they had the Grey Cup on it. I remember Saskatchewan was in mm-hmm. it, and I forget who they were playing against. But end of the game, they Montreal, kicked, I think. Yeah, Montreal. They kicked the field goal. It misses. Mm-hmm. But they had too many men on oh, them. Yeah, so the thirteenth man. So uh, Saskatchewan had too many men. So Montreal could re-kick and they get it. <sighs> yeah, that's that's always uh, obviously every single year in the top tens, like you know, top ten game-ending blunders or those types of things. Illegal substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Oh my! It's a ten-yard penalty. They'll repeat first down. Duval gets a second chance from thirty-three yards out to win the ninety-seventh Great Cup. And the Montreal Alouettes have come all the way back, and they are the 2009 Grey Cup champions. Heartbreak for Saskatchewan. That one's obviously very, very much at the top because you had just won the Grey Cup, and then to have an extra person, it, it, it somewhat reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, uh, Seattle, the Seahawks were playing a Monday Nighter against Washington. And they had this crazy touchdown to get within two. They missed the two-point conversion. But Seattle, with like 30 seconds left, gets the onside kick recovery. But it's like, oh, there's a flag on, on Seattle because they were lined up incorrectly. How in the world yeah. uh, do you line up incorrectly, especially with, obviously even more for the Grey Cup because it's the final game. But both games, like, how is that even possible for a team to line up incorrectly? I was livid over that, especially because you made the play, but it was nullified. Then, of course, they tried it again and didn't get it. I just, oh, it's just and, brutal. And and for all those CFL fans out there that that are that that look at the league and they go, oh, look at this, just like a bunch of jabronis, a bunch of people, because like when when uh, the the thing happened in Saskatchewan and and when we were when we were offside in overtime, mm. I was like. Ugh. You know, you sit there and you go, how can you do... But, you know, nerves get to you. And, and it just goes to show. It's not just the CFL. It's the NFL. It's every single professional sports. The pressure gets to you. And you just... You you, you forget the basics. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, I can't remember the exact quote. But basically, you know, uh, um, Craig Button, uh, former NHL GM and just the greatest guy ever, he said this about, like, players. Essentially, if you want to get a player on your team or not, the, the dumb... Uh, I can't remember... I'm going to butcher the quote big time. But essentially, the, the point of the quote was... 
the the player, the dumb player, will always screw you up at the most inopportune time. Like he can be a talented player, but if he doesn't know the basics and he doesn't do things properly, he will always, at the end of the day, screw you over at the worst possible time. And when that happened, I was like, "How do you go offside there? Like it's just, that's just soul crushing. That just kills a team when you think you're getting off the field, you're all good, and then nope, you get a fresh uh, set of downs to their team. Just it's just ugh, disgusting. But it's one out of sixty plays a game. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's it. Like it's one out of you know. Obviously, yeah, because it's toward the end of the game. That's memorable. Everyone remembers that. But it's like, yeah, that play, like you said, that, that happened in the first quarter could have been just as impactful. But because it wasn't later on in the contest, you know, you can uh, you dissect these games way more if you lose the big one. You know, yeah. I've dissected the Seahawks losing the Super Bowl to the Patriots a number of times, a few different plays that people don't even remember because you know it happened earlier in that fourth quarter. You know, of course, obviously, everyone, whenever I say I'm a Seahawks fan, they want to talk about the one yard line that Seattle lost uh, the last play there. But it's like no one remembers that they smashed the Broncos with the in his prime Peyton Manning forty three to eight the year before. That's Peyton Manning had the most touchdown passes of, of any quarterback ever in that season. Yet Seattle crushed them. But no one ever talks about the fact that the year before they did that. And uh, yeah, and the other thing about this world class defense Seattle was, which was incredible. They were up ten points with five minutes to go in that fourth quarter. Eventually they lost it to Tom Brady and the Patriots. But no one remembers the fact that like they were up 10 points in that fourth quarter late in the game, but everyone just, the one play that, that changed everything. And of course it did, obviously, but there were several plays in the, in a game of football that uh, changes the momentum and uh, the way the, the trajectory of the game goes. Yeah, it's, it's such an ebb and flow game. Like There's ups and downs, and it, and it really just comes down to uh, who made the least amount of mistakes. You know, And, and, and I think uh, when a lot of people you know, think that Poppy White made the wrong mistake by taking the knee, what if he fumbles? What if he runs it out and he fumbles? Because he's fumbled before. Mm-hmm. The game's over right there. And then you're going to be going, why didn't he take the knee? Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's where uh, I mentioned a couple of times. The results-based oriented thinking. The only reason this is terrible because this didn't happen. It's like that may not necessarily have been the bad call. But as we said, it seemed like that was the right call because they, they weren't upset about it, Hamilton and all there. So, Well, the, the fans were. But, uh, you know, by myself leaving, like, and to be a, to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed with the Hamilton fans because they just left. I, I I I sat there and I was like, I came to watch the Grey Cup be presented. Like I don't, it does. They went and play, played a great game. You know, they they got real lucky. They they executed one or two plays more than we did. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned off the top, obviously, that you uh, work in film in the TV industry. Uh, you've been doing it. Uh, we've both been doing, uh, well, not for me, not me for film, but in the TV industry for, yeah, 15, 16 years, which is an incredible accomplishment. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit what, what you do exactly and some of the shows you've worked on uh, in the past year. Um, well, I, I'm basically, I'm a, I'm a camera assistant. Uh, there's a bit of a slang term for it. I'm a, I'm a focus puller. Mm-hmm. So my job and main skill is basically to judge how far an actor is away from the camera and adjust the focus on the lens to keep the actor in focus. So if they lean or they walk in the room, I'm constantly looking at how far they are away and turning that into feet and inches and keeping them focused. Oh, that's uh, that's yeah. bad. That, that sounds. Uh, I like the way that you explain that. And yeah, so you've been. Do, is that the, the the main thing you've done, or have you done some other things as well? Uh, all uh, over uh, the, all I'm, these years, or yeah, like I, I first started out after we went to college and we moved in together in the city. I was uh, in an apprenticeship program, which is the camera trainee program through a, a union in Toronto. And uh, yeah, it was just like a, a pain in pain internship, pretty much. I I basically got paid minimum wage, 
to slug batteries, push carts, and and do all the worst of the worst jobs and learn how to become a clapper loader, which would be a, a second assistant camera. Uh, once I finished the trainee program, you have to take like a... Uh, back in the day for me, it was a loading test because we shot film back then. So I had to like load film and show them I, c- I could do that. And I knew things about certain cameras and all that stuff. And uh, once you do that test, uh, then you upgrade to be a second assistant. And it's basically who you know, like you, you got to get out there, you got to work. And, and, you know, and I was fortunate enough to uh, hook up with a, a focus puller who had worked a lot and we worked together for eight and a half years. And then when uh, she retired, I was, uh, I upgraded to pulling focus. Hmm. And that, that's a great, and did, was there ever a moment earlier in your career? I, I definitely have one for myself that I'll mention later, but a point earlier in your career where you maybe didn't do something correctly or because you know, you're still green and you're like, Oh my God, I'm screwed. I have no chance now. They're going to for sure fire me. I'm done. Oh yeah. All the time. Like I, I remember when I was a camera trainee, I, I dropped a lens, which is like, uh, oh, no. it could be like lenses could be like 50 grand. Yeah, like. yeah. Holy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was like maybe ankle height and touch the ground. But the fact that I went up and said, I dropped this and they looked at it, made sure the, the focus ring worked, the iris ring worked and the optics looked good and, and the lens was still good to go. So, uh, fortunate, but you know, own up to your mistakes. Yes. That's, that's the big thing. Like, you know, we're all human beings. We're not saving light. And even, you know, paramedics make mistakes and they kill people. Like, you know, yeah, that's sometimes in these in the industry, both of us, like, you know, sometimes people will, will react like we've, you know, we are paramedics. It's like, okay, it sucks that we screwed that up. It's not a huge deal. It's not the end of the world. We can, you know, we can fix it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. actually a couple weeks ago, I, uh, I felt like an idiot for doing this, but I accidentally, because most of the time, of course, the show I work on with Jay Onright, Jay Onright's the host, but he was off this day. And so Glenn Sheeler was the replacement host. And I, I'm just out of, I guess, muscle memory. I fonted... Uh, as, as a name font for the host, Jay Onright, but it was Glenn Sheeler talking. So it was Sheeler, but it said Jay Onright underneath his name, underneath his face. And everyone just, you know, online, like, oh, Jay Onright, no, this isn't you or whatever. And of course, we made fun of it or whatever, but I felt like an idiot. But it's like, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. But, you know, sometimes it's like, oh my God, that's so bad. But it's like, did, you, uh, did you have Adam tweeting you on that one? Uh, I, I think three or four, uh, he didn't do it, but uh, three or four people said, like, hey, at J- uh, SCN, uh, Jay on on uh, Twitter, like, you guys blew it or whatever. Like, you know, you screwed it. It's the wrong name. And I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, it's – I remember – so uh, I was saying there was a moment early in my career that I messed up. It was uh, – I was doing, like, some tennis highlights, like, maybe my third week at TSN or something like that. And uh, it was very, very low level, of course, because I just started there. Low level in the show. It might have been, like, with five minutes to go in the show. And I put together this highlight pack, got all the highlights, and I got the editor to, to edit all these highlights together. And, of course – Obviously, when the, the, the hot tennis highlights are going to come up, you don't do anything with it. Obviously, the highlights will run. No big deal as long as it's been edited already. I actually said it correctly that time. Edited uh, with the editor. Unfortunately, I told the editor to render the highlights again to make sure they're all fresh and, and, and done while the highlight pack was running on the air. So in the middle of the highlight pack, of course, you see the highlights, and all of a sudden, it just goes dead black, goes to dead air and black because it has to, you know, when it uh, renders, it has to go through the process of, uh, of finishing all the highlights. So I'm, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, they're going to ream me out. They're going to rip into me. Like, this is obviously bad. You don't never want anything to go to dead air or, black, you know, or go to black like that. And I was like... For sure, thinking I'm done. I'm done here. But as you said, own up to your mistakes because obviously that was my mistake. There's no way around that. But I find sometimes people 
they try to blame other people or, you know, it's like we all make mistakes. Just say sorry. You know, it's it's an amazing five-letter word saying sorry that some people don't say. And if you say it, that will right so many wrongs. No problem. And people, it's all good. No worries. But if you try to blame someone else, if you try to run from it, people don't respect that at all. So that's definitely one of the big tips I always say to people is just own up to your mistakes like you said. Yeah, like, uh, and to be honest, the the biggest difference between our two parts of the business is your live television. Like, I don't know if I could do live television because, like, for me, like, yeah, if I mess up, I just turn around and go, uh, you know, I was a little bit soft at such and such point. If you need it, we should go again. Like, and sometimes the director's like, ah, you know, I'm going to be on such and such show. Like, they already know the cut in their head, you know. But it's good to bring it up and 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 admit your you, you made a, a boo boo, but mm-hmm. it's it's not a big deal. Like you know, we all get along. Obviously, in live TV, it's a whole lot different. But uh, for me, like yeah, we can we can go again unless you know the ten year old actor has gone past their allotted hours for you know being allowed to work. And then, how long? I always wondered that. How, I know it's obviously less for them. How, how long is the amount of time they're allowed to be I, on set? You know, I think kids under. I think under 18, I think kids are only allowed to be there for eight hours and they have to have a, a bunch of schooling in between too. So they have a, oh, a tutor. So really, uh, you know, we'll, they'll, they'll come and they'll block the scene, the kids, and then they'll go straight to tutoring after, you know, and then from tutoring, they'll be there for like a half hour. They have to have so much of tutoring time a day, you know, and then they go to a hair, makeup, wardrobe, come back to us, they act, and then they go back to tutoring again. Uh, I actually, uh, I've, I have wondered that because uh, a show that you watch a little bit of and I've watched for uh, like 20 years of my life, Coronation Street, sometimes I'll see scenes with kids and I could tell that they, it wasn't a very well acted scene or whatever, or it's like, the, you could just tell like so often on the show, they'll be like, okay, kids, like, you know, go upstairs and get, brush your teeth or like go out, go out the door to go to school. And the kids, no questions asked. Nope. Yep. I'm going straight upstairs to go to sleep. It's like, okay, kids probably wouldn't act that way. But because I know obviously in the show or in the, in real life, you can't have kids in the, they, they, they want to waste time with the kids arguing with their parents. So the kids just, they're in the scene for like five seconds and then boom, they're gone. It's pretty funny. It, it, it's also like, um, it has to do with, uh, uh, I mean, they shoot Coronation Street, like one episode a day, like they shoot an episode a day. So you don't have time to, you know, have all this additional shoe leather, shoe, shoe leather dialogue, you know, you, mm-hmm. you'd have to get right to the nitty gritty of it. Speaking of shows that we're talking about, what, what are some of the shows that you've worked on uh, in the past that uh, were, your, were your favorites? Uh, I, I had a lot of fun when I did a bit of Degrassi, the next generation, uh, post Drake, oh, I, I have just, to say post Drake. I was just going to say, was Drake there yeah. when you, I, no, I, I figured no. you wouldn't. But I, I did do this, um, I, I guess it was like a two day, I thought it was like a music video. But I did the, do this like a two day thing, uh, and Drake was like the headline of it. I think it was like just before his Views album dropped, and we just like ran around Toronto, shooting him doing stuff. And and he was like a, a class act though. Like at the end of the shoot, he went around, shook everybody's hand, and he thanked them very much. And people like he recognized people that had done stuff for him before. Like he's just a, a class act altogether. Oh, that's really cool because you, you always wonder, especially someone who's such a superstar like that, you know, how do they treat the rest of the crew or whatever, right? Like you hope, obviously that's the case. I know you've told me before, I can't remember if it's, I think it's Connor McDavid or was it Justin Bieber that you did a, was it a commercial for? Uh, Connor McDavid. Okay. I, I thought it yeah. was McDavid, but you know, it could have been Bieber as well. Maybe both of them. <laughs> yeah. Like we, uh, it was like just, just when he was drafted, uh, I was doing this Adidas commercial up in Newmarket, I guess, Aurora. There's a school, uh, like a sports school up there. And uh, he drove down uh, by himself with zero handlers, 
And he was just like super nervous, like didn't know what to expect. Like he was leaving like this week to go to Edmonton. And we, we, you know, we'd ask him when we had moments to, you know, like where you live in, are you excited and all that stuff. He had no idea where he was living, but he had a place and he didn't know who he, who he was living with. And, but uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like that was like five years ago to, to see him now. Like what was he? The fifth, uh, it took him the fifth most to get assists. Was it? Or goals? I for, I forget. Uh, I don't know what the stat would be, but all I would know is he's such an incredible player. I yeah. would say if you say fifth, I'm going to say probably wrong. It's probably first because he's the greatest. It seemed already. Yeah, no, he was definitely everything. he was definitely the fifth to the fifth to get there. I, I think at at his age or oh, I see what you're saying. Like okay, I, I got you, got you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not exactly sure the stat exactly, but it might have been the fifth um, uh, player that uh, was underager at the world. Uh, um, at the OHL level, something like that. There's a very, very select few players who get selected as underagers, and uh, I know he was on that list, so that's, that's probably what it was. The one, the one I thought was, uh, the one I saw was, uh, it was something recent, like in the last couple of weeks, where he had broken, he had got to like uh, either an assist record or a goal record with like being the fifth youngest to do it or something like that. Yeah, well, no no question about it. He's, a, oh, he's, he's amazing, absolutely yeah. a complete stud. It's, it's just wild to watch him play. It's, yeah. it's so, so exciting. Um any other cool people that you've uh, worked with that are like just uh, some of your favorite, some of the highlights, faves that are just like this person was an absolute beauty. Uh, I mean, like if uh, I don't know what your your audience uh, of the podcast is here, but uh, you know, if anybody's a desperate Housewives fan, uh, I worked with James Denton for a bunch of years, and he's like really dope. Like he's just such a a, a good guy and a great actor, and just uh, a lot of fun to 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 have at work, you know. Well, like I said, it's just cool that when you hear these stories of these people who are just normal people, like there's, I would imagine, I don't know for sure. I know at least from the TSN side, there's all the hosts are all really, really great. They're awesome people behind the scenes in front of the camera or whatever. So I would imagine my guess is a good amount of the actors are probably pretty cool. And then they just, there's, there's probably a select few that aren't and they stick out like a sore thumb because everyone else is pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know, times are changing. Uh, the, the difficult actors and difficult workers are being pushed to the sidelines. You know, it's, it's a whole different world that there, there used to be a time where, you know, the, the actor was number one, but now if the actor is having a fit and won't come out of their trailer, they might go, okay, you know, no touches for you. You're, you're not going to look good on camera. You know, we just don't have the time for you. Well, I saw a story actually recently that uh, I was like, oh, no, that's too bad. Uh, um, Jeff Garland, who works on uh, uh, Larry David's best friend on Kruber Enthusiasm and his manager, he was on the Goldbergs on ABC, and he was basically essentially uh, taken off the show for conduct detrimental or, you know, he apparently wasn't well loved with some of the things he was saying. I think he said some of his jokes were inappropriate or people thought they were inappropriate or something like that. And I was like, oh no, like, you know, obviously but, I love him on Kruber enthusiasm, but not good. But that's comedy. Comedy pushes the boundaries, you know, like you can't, uh, you can't just sit there and if you're at a comedy show and you're offended, you shouldn't have gone to the comedy show, mm. you know, like you're, you, you know, if you're, if you go to a football game and see hockey, you're going to be pissed off, mm. you know. But if you go to a comedy show and you see comedy, and it may be a little bit not what you were into or you're t- you still went to a comedy show, you you went to get laughs, like, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, we don't know the, you know the full details of the story behind the Jeff Garland stuff. There could have been stuff that, that was really, really bad. At least at this point, as of the recording, we don't know the full details of that story. So uh, maybe it was really, really bad. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And we might not ever know about that. I mean, for me, it's whenever something like that comes out, it's like, okay, I'm going to wait five months to find out what really happens. I don't want to be a part of the mob that just hangs somebody for no reason. 
And then you find out five months later, it wasn't him at all or anything he did. And so I'm, I'm very cautious to, to jump on that bandwagon with the way people are these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, is there any uh, on the flip side of uh, I have to ask, of course, the so obviously these people who are cool you worked with anyone you were like, this guy's the biggest or this woman's the biggest uh, jerk ever of all time. Of course, you name names is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. There's uh, I understand you can't name names on that one. But uh, I mean, I've been I've been surprised by people. I mean, in both good ways and I guess in bad ways, like uh uh, it's, it's interesting because with my job, I sit there and I, I watch performances and, uh, performances that I see, you know, may, may read better on camera and I may have a different opinion sitting there in real life and then vice versa. Like I may think like, oh man, that really moved me. But like at the end of the day, it didn't read well in the scene. Like, but that's not for me to judge, mm. you know? And, and really when, when actors come on set, like, uh, depending on like if they're just uh, like your your episode bad guy or whatever, they're 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 guests. Like they they're obviously just there for a couple of days, maybe eight days out of the fourteen, a couple of scenes here and there, and and they're not going to create waves. But uh, and and you know the very difficult actors end up getting killed off or move out of the city that uh, they apparently live in. You know, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've seen that happen. But I I. I can't really name any names of people that I've been like, Oh, like they were just like the worst, you mm-hmm. know, I, I just haven't had that experience. I've had a relatively good, uh, decent experience and everybody's been relatively nice. I have heard horror stories, but like that, who, who knows through what years that's gone through. You mm-hmm. know? Well, that's good that you haven't had that experience bad for the podcast listeners that they haven't had these epic stories of this girl. This person's the worst in the history of the world, but no, I totally understand. Uh, actually there's one thing uh, I've always wondered about film and TV, uh, when do the actors sort of have a sense of um, uh, like this script just sucks? Like, do they do they ever have a sense of just like I'm doing these lines, I'm doing the scenes, or you know, but they're just like I don't. They just know. Like, I'm, sure, I'm sure the veteran ones, they just know for sure that this is garbage. Yeah, there's been uh, obviously a couple of times. Um, I'm not going to give you specific examples because I, I still want to work for these networks <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> understandable, understandable. <laughs> Uh, there has been times in blockings where the actor, you know, obviously has read the script before and he turns to the writer standing right there and goes, do, do I really have to say this? <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's TV. Like it's, and, and, and it's kind of funny because early in my writing career in college, I was writing a script or whatever. And it was relatively, I guess, true to true life because you always take things from your life. And uh, I remember it was like critiqued by another student and, and the student wrote on my my script, like, oh, this would never happen. And I'm sitting there being like, but it did happen to me, you know, like, so you just don't really, really know, you know, like it, it could really happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Is there a, uh, is there any, le- um, again, I'm assuming it would be more so for a veteran who's been in, in the industry for a long time, but is there any leeway for actors to basically change up a scene or change up something than the script or uh, maybe a body movement or something along those lines that they're like, you know what, this doesn't, this wouldn't be my character. This wouldn't, I wouldn't normally do this or this character wouldn't do this. Is there leeway or is it pretty rigid as far as like you must do exactly what we're saying? That's the, uh, the funny thing about being a focus puller is you never trust the, the director because he'll tell you, oh, this is for sure going to happen. 50% of the time it doesn't happen. You, you don't trust the operator because they're going to be like, this is for sure going to happen. You don't trust the actor either. You basically just go, okay, between action and cut, you have to get into this mode of complete zen 
where you're like, okay, the chances of the actor doing the same thing twice is, you know, depending on the actor, of course, some actors are, are amazing. They count their steps. They do everything exactly the same. They'll be like, okay, on take six, uh, Derek, I'm going to, I'm going to lean in a little bit more. I'm going to be about here this time. And you know, but then you do act, you, you do stuff with actors who are comedians right, and really don't act. And then you realize, oh my God, they're not going to do the exact same thing every time, you know, or maybe they're one of those like brand new actors, Disney kid, you know, doesn't know. And they don't even know what a mark is. And they walk by that. So they're out of their light. They're out of the framing. They're out of the focus. Like, so you just have to uh, react and just, you know, go for it, you know? Hmm. No, that's uh, very, very fascinating. I, I do love the, of course, the behind the scenes uh, elements of the show that, you know, people uh, often don't see. Like I, w- I always would, would say that a lot of times the funniest parts of the Jay uh, Onright show is the stuff that doesn't make it there. Like, that's the stuff behind the scenes. And of course, that's oftentimes in the bloop, blooper segment at the end of every week, we have that. But yeah, some of the stuff that Jay says or whatever behind the scenes that aren't on the show is just uh, outrageously hilarious. And uh, so, yeah, I always am interested, interested in hearing about the, the, the behind the scenes stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, to be honest, when the cast all has the giggles and it's two in the morning and this is the last scene. The cast may kind of think it's funny because it, they're delirious and all this stuff, but all of us are going, like, we, we just, just want to get out of here yeah, <laughs> just yeah. get the lines to stand on the mark and bark. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can totally understand that being like, you know, it's a hilarious if you're in the moment of it yourself, but everyone else is just like, oh, yeah, God, just I mean, like it. when something like, because filmmaking is all made of happy accidents is what makes a beautiful shot. Like the, the oh my God, that just like fell into place perfect, perfect. But like, when it happens in a scene like that and they all get the giggles and it was just like something no one ever expected to happen, it's kind of like what makes the business kind of fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of can just break away from like, you don't have to be perfect all the time. We have a timeline and many scenes to shoot today and blah, blah, blah. It's uh, you, you, you really get to take that break and be like, oh, we're having fun, you know? And I always find, I was obviously one of my favorite shows to watch is Kruber Enthusiasm. And because the show is uh, largely um, improvised, I always find it funny when, you could see Larry David breaking up. Like there was a scene a couple episodes ago with Richard Lewis and basically Larry's just like, will you just die already? Like, what are you going to die? Like, and, and he was just like dying laughing as he's saying it. And we're talking about, you know, whether or not you want to do the scene over and over. I'm sure he's just like, you know what? I was laughing during the scene, but whatever. Like, I'm just going to go with it because that's sort of more true to life anyway. Yeah. That maybe yeah. someone would say that while they're saying it. Right. Yeah. And from what I understand, that shows mostly unscripted. Like they have like, points they got to hit in mm-hmm. the storyline but for the most and i remember in the early seasons it, to me it was kind of unbearable to watch them just you know beat the joke I, I call it the aristocrat comedy where you beat the dead horse and get it a little bit grosser and grosser your punchline until you're like okay that's enough but in, in the later seasons they they've really tightened it up and and they've really just kind of left it to like yeah that's my joke that's that's the best i thought of in the moment and and that's what came out you know uh, it's uh, obviously an outstanding show. I always try to tell people there's uh, I have one buddy of mine who I, I love the guy so much. I'll name him Andrew Reichold. Great, great guy. He loves Seinfeld. Watches he's watched every episode numerous times. And I've tried to get him to watch Kruber Enthusiasm, even the uh, the Seinfeld uh, season of Kruber Enthusiasm where they had the reunion show. And he just refuses to do it. And I'm just like, I, I don't understand. You love Larry David's comedy from Seinfeld. You love all the actors. The actors are in these episodes doing Seinfeld scenes, yet he just refuses to watch it. And I'm like, what? 
Why are you depriving yourself of this? I, I get it, though, because it's not the same. No, no, of you course know, when, it's not. When, but when at least you, give it a try is what I'm saying. I know, but, like, it's, it's such a different show. Like, like, it's so much more vulgar. It's so much more real. I mean, to be honest, like, where Thank we you. are in our lives. Thank you for your honesty, by the way. We're living Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld was about mid, mid-30s, like, people that were just trying to make it, you know? I love how, uh, but at the end of Seinfeld, uh, Elaine's character was like the most damaged of all. Like she was like just the most like offside, the most raunchy. It was. I, I thought. Uh, it, hilarious. I thought. I thought about that. Like, but I've recently started to go back and watch the beginning seasons, and she's crazy all along. Oh yeah. Like I don't know why. I only like, ever watch every episode once. I yeah, because even... I always saw like oh yeah about halfway uh, when Kr- when Kramer and Elaine started hanging out more, but like she's she's like kind of like if i were to go on a date with this woman red flags would be coming up and you're like i think you're a bit crazy <laughs> you know you're you're not running dogs across straight line state lines yet you know like but yeah. like i think you're a bit crazy <laughs> yeah no she definitely was uh, so so funny that obviously tremendous actor as well in veep which is a show that i tried telling people like some uh, i i watched all the whole series i think it was six or seven seasons the first season and a bit was a little bit slower and a lot of like um, a dialogue and a lot of characters. And I was like, okay, this is a, this is a, this is a lot, but I just get through it. It's not like it's bad or that early on, but it gets way, way better. And she's obviously brilliant in that show. And if you're talking about vulgar and offside, cause it's on HBO, I believe it's on HBO. Uh, uh, my goodness, the stuff that she says um, on uh, Selena, I can't remember her last name is in that show. But uh, the fact that what's the, the stuff that Elaine, Elaine, whatever, Julie Louis-Dreyfus says in that show, it's just like, oh, my God, that's crazy. But she, I always wonder, like, as an actress, she's probably like, this is amazing. I could say these words and normally that's not acceptable to ever say. It must be so freeing. It is. But, you know, I have there's a special place in my heart for clean comedy, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and, and not that Seinfeld was clean comedy. It's just that the if if they didn't have the censors that they did back then they they would have gone more because there was the one the masturbation episode mm-hmm. and it, it, it's probably the, um, one of the smartest episodes master of your, of your domain master of your domain yeah yeah yeah, yeah that one yeah yeah that was a brilliant episode but yeah but you're, you're right like it is nice to have sometimes where it's not like uh i don't mind swear words in shows uh although a leon on kirby and kirby enthusiasm swears all the time but uh, if it's good for emphasis, where it's like that really hits that that swear word actually really matters, as opposed to just saying it for the sake of saying it, I do like that or whatever. But yeah, sometimes yeah. the network comedies, obviously, you can't say that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I guess to me, I'm a bit nostalgic growing up in the '90s. You know, you didn't see a lot of that on TV. You know, no, definitely not. Is there any shows that currently you're watching that uh, you're thinking that doesn't could be comedy, could be whatever that you're thinking people need to uh, sort of uh, get into that they may have maybe not seen? Uh, shows, I haven't really watched any new shows. Um, I saw the new Dune movie. Oh, that was dope. But, you know, if you're going to go see the new 007 movie, don't waste your money. Like, oh, that, that was garbage. Really? <laughs> who was the, uh, who was the lead actor? Like, who was like the James Bond in that? Oh, Daniel Craig still. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. and no good, eh? Oh, it's just awful. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Don't even, don't even know. <laughs> wow, that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've, obviously, I've seen one of those movies well, well back in the day. I, I basically don't watch movies anymore at all, pretty much uh, TV shows. But the one that I uh, have been telling to people, uh, Adam Skelly's parents actually got me into the, this show, uh, Line of Duty. It's a British cop show where they're trying to get bent coppers from uh, off the streets because they're, you know, you're, they're dodgy. They're not, they're not very good. And it's like uh, six episodes a season. It's been now six seasons. 
and uh, it's so incredibly well done. The characters are amazing. Like you, there might be a character that was only on the show for half an episode and that's it. And then they get killed off, but you love them so much already because they're so good at developing characters. Uh, it's on Netflix and that's a show that just, you burn through it so quickly because you, every episode it's like the ending, it's like, Oh my God, I need to see the next one. Like just a brilliantly, uh, well done show, which I find a lot of British shows are like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, one that sticks out to me is the bodyguard, the bodyguard, the never bodyguard. You never saw the bodyguard. No, oh, no, man, I think it's on the flicks. Yeah, it's a good one. Really? Yeah. And so what, like and what, four, yeah. four or five seasons type thing? No, or? no, it's like, it's a miniseries. It's like eight, eight episodes. Like, And sometimes actually like, uh, that's what I do like about British uh, shows oftentimes. They're, they're so good at making or allowing you to want more as opposed to sometimes the American shows, like especially comedy, where it's like 24 episodes a season or something. It just gets watered down. Yeah. Give me six episodes. Make me want more when the, when the, uh, the but, series is over. But I don't, I don't need more. That's it. Like, just give me, just give me eight. And and, th- and that's it. Don't don't ever come back. Mm-hmm. You know. Don't don't ever. You know. Because the chances of like a second season, like let's let's do the wire for example. Mm-hmm. We have different opinions on the wire. We do. I don't even know what my opinion is. I love season two. Oh okay. Yeah. I I, I only saw the first three seasons. Season yeah. two was terrible. Yeah. Season two was amazing, mm-hmm. but it was totally what. Not terrible. It that wasn't, wasn't like the rest of the season. It wasn't know? terrible. But uh, I didn't. I didn't, I know that was a very polarizing season for people. A lot but, of people say what you said. Yeah. A lot of people say what I said. It's interesting on that one. Yeah. You know. Have you been watching New Blood? Uh, yeah, Dexter New Blood. Yeah, actually, I have. Uh, I think uh, I think six episodes that I've watched or whatever. I think any, it's any, any good? I think it's actually pretty. Have you yeah. watched or no? No, I haven't seen anything. Uh, obviously, like it's never going to be like Dexter of old, like season four with uh, Rita when his yeah. wife there. She yeah. was uh, what was her name Julie. I actually worked with her. Really? I, yeah, I, I, on, I, uh, on I, Defiance. I knew that I was that sort of gay. That's and uh, season two, <laughs> Dexter's uh, uh, side chick. I worked with her too. Really? Yeah. Hey, wow, wow. And they're uh, they're cool people. Uh, yeah, I both trust. both super cool. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So season four of Dexter was that's the peak of Dexter. But yeah. the thing that it's interesting to note is the I think it was I think the showrunner of season he was there the first four seasons then he left and then the last uh, whatever it was three or four seasons of Dexter I watched them all admittedly they weren't great yeah it he, ended, he, he it ended had left not well. yeah uh, but he's back for this Dexter New Blood uh-huh. and it can never be as good as season four I, I don't think it's it's possible but it's actually really quite good the, yeah. the way they've done it I think I have a feeling what might actually happen at the end of the season it might be quite good. Um, it's, it's very, definitely very watchable. I watch it every Sunday pretty much once it comes out. Like I'm excited to watch it. I'm not like, yeah. Oh, this is like the last few seasons of Dexter was a bit of a slog to get through this. I'm actually excited every single Sunday to watch it. So it's, it's been good. Yeah. It's, it's also weird to be on the other side of the camera when, when you're shooting these series, these, these series, because like when you're, sh- when you're shooting a season that, that is like super well received you really don't know going into it. Like you're just like, oh yeah, this is, just seems like everything else. But it must it must strike some chords and some fans, and and it must just hit. The stories might just hit just right, you know. And then you get into the later season. I've done a lot of later later season stuff too, and and like when you're shooting it, you're like, oh, this is the best stuff we've done. It's so different because you get so in, you. See, it's not like you see it for an hour a week. You see it for every single day for like four months, five months. So you, you, you develop, I guess, like a relationship with these characters to a point and mm-hmm. you get to, and you know, like, and I've read reviews of stuff that I've done and like, they just don't like where it went. And I've been on that side of the table, you know, but I feel like if you're in front of it every single day, it's going to, it's going to seem like it's going to be good, you know, mm-hmm. but you you have no idea, you know, and that, and that must be the pressure of, I always say this about like, say, uh, say someone's, 
uh, all of a sudden went viral on a TikTok or Instagram or whatever. That, that video that went exploded and everyone loved it so much. The pressure of having that second video has got to be so enormous. That's almost got to like weigh you down so much to know, okay, that next video has got to be as good. I don't want to be a one hit wonder type thing. So that's what, the, for for example, Line of Duty, the pressure of Jed Mercurio, who is the guy who created the show, like I said, every season is just fantastic. It's got to be so tough to be like, and there's rumors that there might be a seventh season, but He's like, I'm not sure if there's any more story to tell here. I don't want to like, you don't want to obviously go on a low note, but it's like the most, I think it's the highest rated show in British TV. I'm not sure if it's history or if it's currently, wow. but it's, it's getting bigger as the, as the seasons go on. So the pressure of him to, to be, you know, want to create good TV and it's outstanding every season. It's got to be enormous. Of course, I'm sure obviously networks are like, hey, make more episodes. We want more episodes. But if you're him, you're like, I don't want to do it if it's crap. So yeah, it's got to be really tough to know when to pull a shoot on that. Well, you know, to me, as a, a lover of cinema and storytelling uh, and that kind of thing, um, I feel like I feel like they uh, for season two they 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 never really continue the story. They always go okay, uh, everything ended, which is fine that everything ended, but maybe something lingers on, you know. And and uh, one of my favorite shows of all time is Lost. And I know a lot of people are like on the fence about loss, but from season one to season two, when they discovered that hatch, that's like at the end of season one, that's like an, a, a, another thing to go on. It's not like, okay, we have a new adventure. There's a new thing happening, blah, blah. blah. We're all going to kind of grow and change. And I think that's what kind of loses me as an audience member when characters kind of like, they go past that, like, oh, I've had my epiphany. I've changed as a person you know, I kind of want to see them still struggle through season two mm-hmm. with what they've just kind of like realized, yep, yep. you know, and, and I, I don't want it to be easy. I don't want it to be a, a totally different mission, you know, and that's why I love miniseries. I love that it ends. I hate that. Like, for example, uh, Stranger Things season one, best eight episodes of TV I'd ever seen. Really? I've never actually seen it, but I've obviously, I thought about that actually randomly the other day, but that show that I know everyone loved it uh, initially. But season two and season three, garbage. Really? Like if you just kind of like stay on, but you know, you make the characters grow, you know, they change as people. It's like, I would love to see like a a two season or a three season series, like something like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do a three season thing or a four season thing. These are the character arcs over the whole season. Of course, they're going to change because you know, uh, fans might like a character a bit more. They want to be wrote in a bit more or whatever. You know, I, I get, I get it. But, uh, at the end of the day, I just like, I feel like they want to tell additional stories. And to me, like a series is just a super long movie that has a lot more detail, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I think like you just tell the same story over those three seasons and have the characters struggle along the way. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I, I, I agree with that. And I like the fact that, you know, uh, it obviously wasn't a dramatic show. A show we used to watch back in the day when we lived together was uh, How I Met Your Mother. And I didn't actually end up seeing the whole series of that. Uh, I think I lost, uh, dropped out of like, whatever, season six or something. But I hated how there was one episode where uh, all of them just started smoking for one episode. <laughs> and I was like, that's stupid because it, it's not true to the characters. All of a sudden, they're all smoking. What they, So it's lazy to me when they either do something like that, TV shows, or, yeah, but, once the storyline uh, wraps up with someone, but you never the, address it ever again. It's just uh, silly to me. Uh, you know. No, nah, I was dumb. That's comedy. No, nah, I was dumb. It's was comedy. Dumb. You, you've run out of things to write about, you know. 
So then, and the and the and the comedy, then you know what I mean. But like, you have to do twenty four. Your your the network goes. You have to do twenty four episodes. Yeah. How many clip shows are you going to do? Like clip shows aren't a thing anymore. No. But you know, in the nineties, when the Super Bowl was on, they'd rather air a clip show than a brand new episode. So. Right. Yeah. No, I just uh, I I know what's like, that's what we're talking about how the when it's watered down, there's so many episodes episodes you have to do for a show. It's like you end up shoehorning stuff in that doesn't make any sense that. Any episode ever, the rest of the whole series, it just doesn't make any sense. But if you only do like the six episodes, eight episodes for a series, yeah, perfect. And or whatever. And, and and Lost used to do that. Like like I remember like twice a season, they would have an episode that didn't have to do with anything else in the season, but a season later that episode mattered. Like it's the planning. That's cool. But but the, yeah, that's like the the long game, right? I like that. Yeah. And speaking of with obviously Lion Duty, I was mentioning uh, each season could be a standalone season, which was great. But there's still uh, themes and arcs and things that relate to previous seasons. That yeah. still there's a thread there that still belongs. Yeah. But if, if you were just watch each season alone, that could totally work as well, pretty much. So that's what I like. But uh, there's still like a continuance of, th- of some things or a character struggling with this or yeah. this or that or whatever. So one of the, one of the the series I really liked that I you know for some reason I just didn't keep up was uh, American Horror Story. I think I watched a season of that as yeah. well. I think I watched the first season of that. I'm and, sure. and what I really liked about that was every season was a one-off and it had a total different theme to it, but it always had the same cast in different roles doing different things. And what I loved about that was you saw all the actors range because they could be the bad guy this season, but the next season they could be the innocent, uh, you know, person that's going to be murdered or, or whatever, you know? No, I think I'm pretty sure I watched a season of that. And yeah, it was a very... Very fascinating. I'm very. I'm all over the board with what shows I want to watch. It, it's a mood. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll watch true crime, but I don't want to watch too much of that because it's obviously horrible to know what's going on. Yeah. And Did then, you watch a uh, Tiger King too? I was just gonna bring that up. Actually, it's so funny you say that. I was just gonna say that. I did actually. I ended up watching all. I think it was six episodes of oh my season God, two. It was so awful. It didn't um, have anything to do with anything. I mean, I, it was. Yeah, it wasn't. It could never be as good as season one. Oh yeah. I was still like, I was still watching. It was still entertaining enough to me. But yeah, was it awesome? No, it wasn't awesome. But whatever, uh, I enjoyed it enough. This has been an outstanding episode, of course. Uh, I be, would be, of course, remiss to we're, we're recording this just before Tiger Woods uh, plays uh, for the first time since uh, breaking his leg. Uh, what? Awful accident in February. He's playing uh, at the Father Son Challenge uh, this uh, coming weekend, which is uh, amazing to see him finally play golf again. He's playing. It's not. It's uh, It's un- obviously an unofficial tournament. It's just him. I thought it was like in the summer he had that car accident. It was in uh, February. February. February, and then wow. uh, obviously at the time it was like, my goodness, he might be he might be gone. Like it was like pretty worrying in there for a while, especially when you the, the news reports because it was just after a year. Uh, I think it might have been. I think it was January the year before Kobe Bryant passed away, and of course the the uh, news reports were coming out slowly. The information was coming out. You're like, oh my god, not Tiger Woods now as well. Yeah, so he came back. Uh, we're recording this just before the tournament starts there uh, now, but it's just great to see him. I saw him in the program today with his son. It was, he wasn't fully back. Like he, he, he was still swinging like 80% maybe or whatever because he's still not fully there, but it was just so nice to see Tiger Woods back competing and, and whether or not he'll win major championships again, realistically, probably not, but everyone thought that a couple of years as well, and then he won the Masters. So it's just nice to see the guy playing again. Man, like... I, I just watched the uh, the HBO uh, documentary on Tiger. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like, is his kid as good of a golfer as he was at the age he's at? Or like- no, I think actually one of the guys who's in that uh, documentary, Robert Lucetich, past guest on this podcast, Bragg, 
uh, actually, uh, he tweeted out something along, along the lines of, like, everyone, like, just tap the brakes here a little bit. His kid <laughs> regularly shoots, like, 83, which, of course, is still very good. That's way better than I shoot. <laughs> but he's, like, the kid, like, you know, he's like, uh, not even the top 100 golfers in his, like, state. Like, just, like, the enormous pressure of that kid is just going to be unbelievably impossible to, like, ever live up to or whatever. But the kid, obviously, it's very exciting to see him play. Like, he's got some, he's got some swagger and moxie like Tiger or whatever. Got some really good shots, but... And so it's just cool to see this tournament. What, what do you think is next for Tiger? Do you think he's going to... Because I, I think I read an article that said he's never going to play competitively again. Well, that's the thing. I, I do think he will. He's the most driven... Of course, obviously, to do with his health, like if, if he actually can do it. But he's the most driven athlete ever. He's went through so many back surgeries. You know, his ACL tears when he won the U.S. Open on one leg in 2008. Uh, obviously... Yeah, he won the Masters a couple years ago when everyone said he was done. And I always maintained if he could be healthy, and it was a huge if, that he can win a major again. Now he's a couple years older. Do I think he can win a major? Uh, I'd love to think probably not. But the fact that Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship as a 50-year-old, the oldest major male men's uh, winner of a major last year, this past season, I think that's that's the perfect thing for Tiger Woods because he's uh, five years younger than Phil. To be like, you know what? I want to be the oldest golfer ever. So I love that Phil won that. So that gives that Tiger that extra motivation. Because you know Tiger has that ego, as he should, to be like, I'm better than Phil. Of course he's better than Phil. So I, I do think he's still going to be able to compete. And that's the thing I would say about golf. You can compete as long as you're healthy for forever. So, yeah. I, And, you know, I think I think deep down from, from watching, and I know documentaries could be a thing, but from what I took about it, he's he's the type of person that, He's he's only living if he's competing, mm-hmm. you know, and and I feel like if he were to just take a broadcast job or something like that, I feel like he'd he'd have a hole in his life. Where I, I feel mm-hmm. like if he's, you know, competing in, in whatever capacity, and it doesn't matter to him as long as he's stomping on throats with six holes to go, like he's he's having the best day ever. And even if it's super tight, he's loving it, you know. Like, and I think we're gonna see him again. Who knows in what capacity? It may not be a major, but he's definitely gonna keep winning. You know, uh, if he wins one more tournament, then he'll have won the most uh, ever PGA Tour events in the history of golf. And yeah, like I was, I had an argument with some some a buddy of mine about a year ago. They're like, "Oh, Tiger Woods winning that Masters was so lucky," and I'm like, "He won the Tour Championship, he won the Zozo Championship, and he won the Masters. It wasn't a one-off lucky tournament. He won three tournaments in like a year and a half. Like, so uh, because yeah. I think people view Tiger in the prism of only major championships because obviously those are the most important." But it's like he's he's won all these other tournaments. It wasn't a lucky one off that he won, and just oh, doubt, doubt that guy at your peril is what I'm saying. De- definitely not. Like uh, I remember watching that final round, the, the last ten holes, and it was it was a clinic. Like you just you just saw him just so zoned in, so zenning, and just shot after shot was just it felt like old Tiger, you know, and and, and, and it he felt just, great. And he waited for everyone else to uh, to uh, wilt. Uh, around him and uh, yeah. a couple guys went in the water there on 12 at race Creek. And he was just like, all right, let me capitalize. This is my time. And he did. And it was just beautiful to see him win the masters. I'm so glad there was patrons there to watch. That would have been so empty. If he finally has this major moment again after 11 years yeah. of, and then it was like nobody there. It would have just been, it would have fallen so flat. And like he knows that golf course so well, like it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter the the skill of golf course uh, golf golf player you are. If if you play good golf course management like he did, because he he knew he didn't have the power, he he knew where he needed to put the ball. And if you know that, you can play just as good as the guy that hits it super far. 
Hopefully that's not his Jack Nicholson 1986 Masters moment where it's like, oh my God, out of nowhere he wins and then never won again, Jack. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, that Tiger can have another act, which would be incredible for the game. And, uh, you know, no one would, even if you don't like the guy, it would still be uh, obviously an incredible theater. I mean, it kind of feels like, especially in a lot of other sports, it's like every five years there's a new kid in town that that changes the game. Like uh, Steph Curry got the three point thing the other day, which is unbelievable. Like you know, and and then in golf, like how how often in golf does this happen compared to I guess hockey with Sidney Crosby, and then now you have um, McDavid, as we were saying, McDavid, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so golf, it's a, you know, happened a, you know, a number of years ago. Rory McIlroy won four majors in like a, th- what, three or four year span? I think it was three year span. And everyone thought, oh my God, he's going to win like 15 majors or whatever. He hasn't won a major in seven years now. Jordan Spieth won three majors in a super short span. It was like, oh my God, he's going to like obliterate all these records. And then he didn't win for another four years. So it, everyone's always chasing for this next Tiger Woods. There's never going to be another Tiger Woods. It's impossible, especially now because it's so close. The game of golf is so much more competitive because of Tiger Woods and uh, his I mean, presence. I, I, you know, I love it that you say it, but to me, that's the romantic thing about sports is there's always going to be somebody next that's going to come in and just change the game, you know, and just that could be very much Bryson DeChambeau, like just mashing the ball a thousand miles, super bulked up. You know, it's incredible what he's doing. Like, you know, people may not like him, He's sort of a he's a bit of a, yeah. a eccentric character, yeah. but he's a, he's a fascinating character, and no one does it the way he does it, which is awesome. It's exciting. Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm going to go back to the CFL here. You know, with my point, and, we'll come full circle. Good. And uh, uh, the Tie Cats under June Jones got Brandon Banks in, and where did they put him? He was the punt returner. He's like what, like 90 pounds, like nothing, but man, can he run five, six, something like that? And, yeah. And now the whole game has changed in the CFL. You've got smaller receivers. You don't have the big, tall guys anymore. You have like maybe one of those dudes, but you have the small, quick guys out there that can run past those DBs. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the shifty uh, guys are always good. You know, sp- the speedy, shifty, small guys yeah. are always uh, definitely going to be a thing that so, people want. Someone's always going to find. A, a loophole. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a loophole, but it's not like a loophole. There, there. Someone's always gonna look at the game completely differently than anybody else did, and they're gonna be successful for a year, and then everybody's gonna get on that train, mm-hmm. you know. And and that's the beauty of sports. I love that. By the way, the, uh, that's a perfect ending. You said sports there as opposed to sport. <laughs> oh God! Whenever people say that, oh, this is the beauty of sport. Well, not, not not to lie, uh, I was over at uh, at Mark's place a week or two ago, and he uh, he's like, oh, I gotta go play some ice hockey tonight. No way he said that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I was like, you know how pissed Hound Dog would get right now. But he plays ball hockey on the side. But he chose to say like, I'm uh, I'm going to play hockey tonight. You know, instead of saying that, he said ice hockey. You know, he could have just said like, I'm playing hockey tonight. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I don't care if it's ball or ice. Right. Know? Oh, Mark. Mark, of course, a previous podcast guest on this episode. I can't remember if we even discussed the ice hockey. I think we might have discussed the ice hockey yeah. thing. I was completely shocked. <sighs> Mark, yeah. Mark, 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 Mark. Yeah. Wow. He, he, he looked at me and he's like, it's just the easiest way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that's hilarious. Well, on, I guess on that hilarious note, uh, obviously, this has been a fantastic episode, Derek. Uh, so much fun uh, discussing all this with you. And uh, yeah, it's uh, been a blast, my friend. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, and I want to say uh, hey, man, to uh, everybody out there in uh, podcasting. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bang. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm-hmm.
Mbang. 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 Mbang.